It's the Kevin Power Podcast Hour. We're gonna hang out and talk about sports. It's the Kevin Power Podcast Hour. You can listen at home in your favorite shorts. It's the Kevin Power Podcast Hour. Behind the scenes on your favorite teams. It's the Kevin Power Podcast Hour. Talking about the games and everything in between. This is not a representation that the show will be one hour long. Hello, this is Kevin Power, the host of the Kevin Power Podcast Hour, and I'm really excited to have with me Mets legend, World Series champion, and Emmy Award-winning analyst for the SNY, Ron Darling. Ron, thank you so much for being with me. Thanks, Kevin. Whenever I hear the word legend, I think that really means I'm just old, but uh, thank you anyway, I'll take it. <laughs> not true at all, Ron, not true at all. <laughs> you especially don't look it, so come on. <laughs> but uh, So I was reading some of your book that you put out last year. Um, game seven, nineteen eighty-six, failure and triumph in the biggest game of my life. So, why did you feel as if your fear of failure is a big thing? I've heard with you. Why did you feel as if like that you were failure when you're a critical part of that team? You had gone thirty-one and twelve, I believe. ERA under three, nineteen eighty-five and eighty-six, and you're the reason the Mets were who they were. And you let one game really get in your mind, that, and, it, and you didn't even pitch that bad in game seven. You know, it's a great question, Kevin. I think that, um, I think what happens, you know, intellectually I can wrap my brain around that I was uh, an important part of that ball club, but um, I think it really just came from a place that, um, you know, here I was, like all young kids, you know, if you're an aspiring golfer, you want to make the three-foot putt to win the U.S. Open, but if you're a basketball player, you want to sink the three-point shot. Um, and if you're a baseball pitcher in the major leagues, you want to pitch game seven and win it. And when I didn't, it's not that I was devastated by it because the Mets won it. Now, it would have been different maybe if the Mets didn't come back. So I was not devastated. I, I enjoyed uh, the post-game celebration, uh, the, the parade the next day. No one had more fun. But about two days later, I was just sitting in my apartment and I like, uh, felt like crashed and burned. Like, what, what happened in that game? You know, that entire series, I had not given up an earned run. It was my third start of the series. And as I tried to kind of reflect back on that game, there were no answers forthcoming. And I just thought, Kevin, that organically, you know, this feeling uh, that I had would just kind of organically go away. But it never did. And 30 years later, it was still there. And I thought there were three ways that I could probably get it out of my system. One is to pay someone $150 an hour and sit on their couch. Uh, two was to write a book. And someone told me the third part was maybe bourbon. So I went for the, uh, I went for the uh, book part about it. And you know what's interesting about it, Kevin? Writing about it and getting it off my chest and just talking about and walking through the game. I haven't thought of the game once uh, since I've written that book. So uh, the cathartic experience worked. I probably need all three of those options. <laughs> but uh, so but what, So you got over that as a result. Of, do you think that affected your career, though? Like in 1987, you kind of had a slow start. Did you, did you always have that in the back of your mind? No, it wasn't even uh, in the back of my mind. Like, you know, when I, um, you know, I was always in the present as far as, uh, you know, uh, making a start and doing my thing. Um, but, uh, you know, when people would, you know, as I got older and I was no longer a ball player, you know, I'm, I'm you know, me and the people that played on that ball club, 
you know, whether we like it or not, and most of us love it, it's just, you know, we're a symbol of that 86 team. And you're always reminded of it, and, you know, winning game six and then coming back and winning game seven. And, you know, um, I don't know, I, I just reflect back and think about, you know, I have a real solid place in Mets history with Mets fans and all that kind of thing. And I'm eternally grateful for that place that I have. Um, but, you know, if the Mets did not come back in Game 7 and the Mets never did with that great ball club win a world championship, my place would be different. I don't know how different it would be, but it would definitely be different. And, uh, you know, there's there's so many little kind of events that happen in your life that would kind of glaze over, uh, but you don't realize what a big part they do play in your development and the people's uh, development in the way they see you. Why don't you think, I mean, obviously you guys had an amazing run there, but why don't you think you didn't win more championships? Do you think it was uh, uh, a reason within the team? Do you think it was a trade? Maybe the Kevin Mitchell trade had anything to do with it? Yeah, uh, great questions. I think uh, the Mitchell trade definitely had something to do with the 88 team. Um, but I, I think even more importantly, and, and I'm not saying this to uh, to denigrate um, two great friends and two great teammates, but, you know, you look at any baseball team today, uh, any team, the Chicago Cubs who just won the World Series, you take their two best players off their team for an extended period of time, and they're not as good. So when Dwight and Daryl uh, went through some of the issues that they had to go to uh, with uh, trying to rehab from their drug addiction, uh, that's certainly uh, a weight on the team. One, um, having to, to deal with it as a ball club, and two, just physically not having this, the, these two uh, tremendous athletes on the field for us. So that might be one of them. Um, uh, but I think, you know, it, it is a disappointment. I think that team was primed to win probably um, or be in the World Series for four years, 85 to 88. It only made one World Series in 86 and, and uh, barely got by and won it. But that team should have, you know, instead of uh, being one of the great teams that ever played, it's one of the teams that had one of the greatest years. And uh, I wish we were the former, but the latter is not. It's all right. I'd say so. I'd say so. So what, what is your opinion on all of these uh, um, injuries? My, my friend Joe Prano, huge Mets fan, actually threw out the first pitch in the game last year, had an interesting theory that some of these guys get to the big leagues thinking they're Superman. And then suddenly the trainer's like, how's your arm feeling? And he's like, oh, actually, there's a little bit of the twinge. And next thing you know, he's getting Tommy John. And next thing you know, he's hurt more. He's hurt more. So it's in his head. It almost becomes like the yips where it becomes mental. So like during your career, I mean, didn't your arm just hurt every day? Yeah, well, I I think, you know, it's all about in my day, the only way you got paid was to pitch. So um, I think that if you told uh, these young athletes the only way they were going to make a, a living was to get on the mound, they would get on the mound too. Uh, but it's changed a little bit now. You know, if you are hurt, um, it's not an anti-macho thing to tell someone and to go get it fixed. In my day, if you are hurting, it was really a reflection on how strong a character you were that you could shake it off and pitch. I, I'm not saying that's the right way. That's a really Neanderthal way to think. And, it, and they're uh, much better at thinking about it now. But uh, um, to help your friend Joe with what I think is the issue with pitchers. Now, with players, I think um, the training of 12 months a year is too much. I think the way they train 
uh, is not baseball training, and I think some of that weight training can sometimes work against them. Uh, but as far as pitchers, it's, I think it's really easy. Uh, what you have is kids that are 12, 13 years old. They've got a father or some other idiot out there with <laughs> a uh, speed gun. And what they're doing is that they're pitching to the gun. And what uh, they're trying to do is throw as hard as they can. Not always get people out, but throw as hard as they can. So if you're taking a body that's 12 or 13, and all you're trying to do is throw hard, well, of course, the great athletes who end up being in the major leagues are kids that throw the hardest. The problem is, is that they've been trying to throw hard like that since they were a kid. And I think that wear and tear makes these uh, pitchers that are 25 today more like 30 in my day. Um, a typical game when I pitched in the major leagues, I would start a game. If I went nine innings, I would throw maybe six balls as hard as I could. And that would happen in a 1-1 tie in the eighth, guy on third, less than two outs. You had to get the out. 2-2 two, two to Mike Schmidt. Instead of throwing a 92, you throw a 95. He would just miss it, fly out to center field. Game would still be tied, but you added a little because you had to. Today, it's not like that. Today, it's two hours of fury. The guys come out, and they throw everything that they have as hard as they can. I'm not saying everyone, but the majority, if you're talking about the power, power pitchers, that's what they do. And it, there's no real okay, let me kind of finesse my way through this lineup, and when I have to reach back and get something extra, I will. They get something extra from pitch one to pitch 100 within those two hours. I got you. So I was actually, which you probably don't, I was actually going to say, does any of these pitchers remind you of yourself? Um, I, there's a lot of guys that kind of remind me of myself. I, I would say that I was not fully evolved as a pitcher. My strength was I was a a tremendous athlete, I was a tremendous competitor. I didn't start pitching until I was in college, so I was not as evolved as some of the pitchers of my generation who had spent a lot of time uh, uh, pitching and being in circumstances where they have to get out of, uh, uh, of spaces loaded, all those kind of things. They had a lot more experience than I did. Um, but, um, I, you know, I think that the guys that are the real good athletes on the mound remind me like of myself, you know, Zach Greinke, people like that. So you didn't start pitching until college, and then you pitched one of the greatest college games of all time, an eleven inning no hit game. Yeah, I was um, I was just one of those kids that I just I hated pitching. I hated pitchers. I did not want to be a pitcher. I wanted to be Cal Ripken. That's what I wanted to be. Okay. And, and, and I'm saying that uh, Cal and I are the same age. Uh, I'm saying that I wanted to be Cal Ripken before Cal Ripken was Cal Ripken. I wanted to be that uh, large shortstop who could hit for power, field his position, and, you know, um, lack of talent. I wasn't able to do that, but I always had a great arm, and, and that's why I became a pitcher. But uh, my, first what, my first hope was to be an everyday player, and I just did not have the talent uh, to do that. But um, uh, that's what I want to do. We well, did hit home runs and back-to-back starts, right? So that's not too bad. <laughs> well, you know, um, I should have been a I should have been a better hitter when I was in uh, when I was in the major leagues. I never really could quite uh, uh, master uh, hitting the breaking ball. I, I was always a good athlete, always a good hitter, and at once. Uh, pitchers know you're a good hitter. All you see is breaking balls. I never really could hit breaking balls as a kid, and uh, that continued into the major league. So uh, 
um, again, that's uh, why it changed the course of, uh, of where I was in the major leagues. Um, what's your opinion on the steroid guys in the Hall of Fame, and also when did you notice it becoming a problem? I mean, was it around when you were playing? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew in the late 80s, I started to see guys uh, build differently. Um, you know, I have a different history of, 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 of steroids because of my age. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I played football and we'd go to the gym in the summer and, and pound weights for two, three hours a day. And in those days, there weren't a Equinox or LA Fitness. There were these ugly gyms where you'd have 13-year-old kids like me uh, who could barely bench press 125 pounds to people who were using steroids and, uh, and being, uh, you know, going for Arnold Schwarzenegger type titles. So, you know, when I was a kid, 13 or 14 years old, uh, it was commonplace to go into the bathroom and have to use it and, and see needles all over, uh, all over the bathroom. That was a very common thing. And, and I was I always thought, you know, just personally, I mean, you know, it takes a, a long stretch to think that it makes sense to take something with a needle and stick it in your rear end. I mean, I never thought that was a great idea. So, um, you know, I watched uh, people that I worked out with, uh, you know, over the course of the summer, I put one pound of muscle on. And, uh, you know, the, the, the senior I was playing uh, football with would put 30 pounds of muscle on. And, and did I feel it was unfair? I did, but I also knew it was wrong. And, you know, they're always, you know, that's the thing with PEDs to me is that no one ever talks about the right and wrong of it. I mean, it's obvious uh, that it's wrong. So, you know, I knew that it was starting to happen in the late 80s because I just saw guys' bodies changing. They looked different than any athlete uh, I had seen that played the sport of baseball. And, and then, you know, at the end of my career, uh, most everyone was doing it. Uh, I was not doing it which put me at an unfair advantage, but I never felt as though, boy, I'm going to do it because I want to, you know, be on par with these guys. I always felt that, hey, you know, the baseball gods are going to take care of me because I'm not doing it. I'm working hard and, and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do in a, in a, in a formal and uh, real manner, not a cheating manner, you know, and uh, I was naive, you know, because uh, it really does help in, in so many different ways. And, but I'm, uh, it's weird. As I've gotten older, I'm not really even angry at uh, people that, that did steroids. Um, I don't even think they should not be in the Hall of Fame. I think um, it, it was a big era in baseball where, where a lot of people made a lot of wrong decisions. And I think that for us, baseball fans, we tend to look at players and we start to pick out, he did it, he didn't do it. He did it, he didn't do it. When I know for a fact of guys that have done it that no one thinks have done it. And uh, so I think we just, we're, we're being naive when we pick out people who think do it and people who don't do it. You'd be surprised by how many people you don't think do it, did it. So I think that what we should do is probably just get off our high horse, appreciate some of the things that they did, but also, as human beings with a rational brain, know that uh, um, in in our mind, uh, they they won't be revered as as others. So you wouldn't have going back looking at it. You wouldn't have taken it, thinking that you might have gotten away with it and gotten a few yeah, more years. 
Yeah, no, because I mean, I, I think that there's a couple of things there. You know, one, you physically have to put a lot of thought and effort into injecting yourself. That's one, or taking the cream or whatever. Yeah. And then se- yeah. secondly, you know, there's Kevin. There's right and there's wrong. Yeah. And I haven't always done everything right, but I try to. And, uh, and I know that uh, that's one of those things where it was like. Okay, I can decide to do the right thing or the wrong thing. I decide to do the right thing. That's all. Well, what about in terms of amphetamines? Did you were you, was everybody taking those things? No, I, I mean, in fact, I, amphetamines were, were rampant in, in my day. Um, I don't remember many pitchers taking amphetamines. Okay. Because, I mean, what, what, why would you need amphetamines as a pitcher? Uh, you pitch once every fifth day. You can't get up for that once every fifth day. There's something wrong with you. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I do know a lot of everyday players that used it to, um, uh, to be better or more alert or whatever on a day game after a night game. Um, but that was wrong too. Um, so, um, but, but certainly, uh, not on the same, uh, uh, path as steroids, but still, uh, that was wrong too. And I'm sure that guys that did do it during their career wish they had it. So let's talk about your transition to the booth. Um, what was that like, and how did that come about? And also, did you feel a little timid on talking about some of your former teammates or, or anything like that? Yeah, well, I, you know, luckily I had a real slow process into the booth and, and got a lot of repetitions uh, in, on different shows and you know, I was like anyone else uh, that started in TV. I was probably very brutal and then just got a little better and a little better. And, you know, I'm asked all the time, you know, how do you make it in TV? You know, it, it, it's a weird thing. I mean, what you do is that um, you work extremely hard. You get on TV in whatever way you can because the repetitions um, will put you in a place where at some point your personality will come through. And the worst part is that the third and final part of that is subjectivity. Then it's up to the fans or the people who are watching or, or your constituency tell you whether they like you or not. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So uh, my start was slow. Uh, and then I was lucky to get to call some games, and uh, and it really connected for me. You know, is that you know I don't think I could be a good coach. Uh, I don't think I'd want to be a general manager. But watching games and watching great athletes do their thing uh, has become my thing, and um, I have a passion for it. Just like when I played, and I would say that half the things that come out of my mouth were taught to me from my father when I was six or seven years old about the game of baseball. So. Um, in some ways, I'm just uh, pushing his legend uh, forward, but it's just um, it's a blast. You know, at some point, I watch a game for three hours, and someone pays me for it. It's the best job in the world. You had mentioned that when you were uh, uh, pitching, that you would look to uh, older players uh, for guidance. Why don't you think any of the young guys look to, to, toward you, or do they? Uh, well, I think that, you know, there's definitely a generational gap. You know, I mean, I'm 56 years old. Many of these guys are 30 years uh, younger than I am. Um, I do have to say that when I played, I looked, uh, I talked all the time to Tim McCarver and Ralph Kiner and, and other older folks uh, for uh, some guidance. Uh, but I, I think today's player is a little different. Uh, they're a little more into their thing, and, um, and that's fine. You know, I mean, I have... A grown family. I've got um, 
things I have to do, so I don't want to be anyone's uh, a father. They have their own father. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that um, I think that the game of baseball, the co- their coaches are their coaches, and I think politically it's a very dangerous place to go to try to um, give uh, these players advice as they're getting advice from people that are being paid uh, to teach them how to play. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, you and Keith have an incredible rapport on air. Obviously, you know, your friends and teammates. Why don't you think more people or teams use your example? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that um, I think that Kevin is just something that's organic. I don't think that you can say, "Boy, let's let's call all these guys in and or all these women in and let's figure out who's who's going to be good on air." Um, it's just an organic thing. Uh, it, it's a lucky thing. Um, you know, Keith and I uh, have a rapport because you know we, um, you know, we know each other. And in a suit and tie before a game, and thirty years ago, uh, uh, naked in the shower. I mean, there's no secrets between he and I. So that rapport comes from such a, a base, organic level. And then Gary Cohen um, has just really brought us all together. And and uh, you know he's kind of the rudder of our uh, our, of our uh, Gilligan's Island castaway boat, and uh, and we just have. I, I think the bottom line is is that we take the game seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously. And I think that what baseball could do more, and I think they try to do this, but what our broadcast does that baseball tries to do, but we do it better than they do, is we speak to our fan base. And that is, is that when they're upset because something just happened, we're upset in the booth. And we're not upset because they're upset. We're upset because it's wrong and something just happened that needs to be addressed. So when they're throwing things at their TV, they know that Gary, Keith, or myself is going to address it. And that's, uh, I think, a a comforting thing for uh, a fan base, a Mets fan base, that is, uh, I know it's an oxymoron, but they're beautifully crazy. You know, they just love their team, and uh, and uh, they love to hear their broadcasters talk about their team. Uh, yeah, and you're talking to one of those people. Uh, what's your <laughs> What's your opinion on them next year? Well, I, I think they're going to uh, be great. I really do. I, I, I expect them to be a dominant team. I expect every day they're going to throw out a... Uh, a pitcher who has a chance to dominate the other club. I think they have uh, plenty of offense. Uh, you know, catching the ball. I'm going to be watching that. That might be uh, something that might not be a great strength, uh, but I expect them to be a 90-plus win team. And, and uh, you know, people ask me all the time, are they going to win the World Series? You know, winning the World Series now is so difficult you know the rounds you have to go in the teams you have to go through the use of your pitching and personnel is, is the most difficult for any manager ever so uh, I, I always say you know getting into the post is, is a huge battle and then after that it's kind of like the, the baseball gods on your side and you have less injuries or, and things bouncing your way so tell me a little bit about uh, your foundation well, my, my son, uh, uh, my middle son, Jordan, uh, found out he was a type 1 diabetic uh, when he was 10 years old. And I think for most uh, families out there, if you have a son or daughter who contracts a disease, uh, within a half hour, you know everything there is to know about that disease. Um, and uh, what happens with, with type 1 diabetes is that 
it, you know, as a family, you're there for your son and, and you're making sure that, you know, he takes his readings and he gives himself his shots and, and um, you know, all of those things. But it really is a solitary disease in this sense is that he lives with it, my son, lives with it 24 hours. I don't. Um, I, I, if you told me I could... I could be type 1 diabetic and he wouldn't, I, I would take it in a heartbeat and I'd deal with it 24 hours, but I don't have it, so I don't deal with it for 24 hours. So I thought, what can I do to kind of help? And I really just started my foundation. We've raised you know, millions of dollars uh, to go to type 1 diabetes research. And uh, I guess my uh, gift to him, hopefully someday, is that you know I'll be able to give him a pill he'll take once a day and never have to give himself a shot again uh, where they find kind of a cure. And I'm hoping that happens. And uh, that's my, uh, uh, what I'm trying to do for Jordan. Well, that's a great, that's a great thing you're doing. Thank you. And so your World Series prediction is the Mets and who? Uh, I think the Mets and the uh, Cubs are going to play in the, uh, the uh, National League Championship Series, which is going to be amazing. I think the Red Sox and Cleveland are going to be in the, the um the American League, and then, um, I, you know, it's the Mets Red Sox, I think. A I, repeat I, of 86. I, yeah, I think it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, a reunion of the, a uh, repeat of the 86 World Series, and I think that'll, that'll generate some interest amongst the masses. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for all your time, Ron, and keep up Thanks, the great man. work. Anytime, man. Great podcast, and, uh, and hi to all your fans, okay? Thank you. Cool. Bye-bye.